Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Amy Crone. She is author of Dying to Live, Running Backwards Through Cancer, Lupus, and Chronic Illness. Amy is here to share her story with us and to definitely inspire and encourage those who are suffering through physical and emotional challenges and health issues. And she's going to share a bit of her story and some of the things in her book that are very helpful tips for many people going through illness and disease. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Angela. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have you on the show. I love your book. It has so much information in it, and yet it's just packed with your own story and so many thoughts and feelings that you went through or have gone through or go through on your journey. And I appreciate that you're willing to share that with other people because I know from having dealt with cancer myself and other physical issues, a lot of times people just don't feel like they can talk about it and they don't want to share it because they figure nobody would want to hear. But of course, that your story matters. We know that that's not what's important. What's important is to share what you can so others can not only learn from your experience, but be encouraged and inspired. So what I'd like for you to do before we talk about the book and how you're doing now and everything that's going on for you now, can you share a little bit of your background and history with the listeners? Sure. Um, I grew up um, in a small uh, suburb of New York City and um, with a strange blended family, they call it now, and also the hackneyed word dysfunctional, so we throw that in too. I was the only child of the descendant of uh, Burl Crone, who was the medical doctor who discovered Crohn's disease. My father was his grandson, so he was my great uncle, and and a mother who also had somewhat of a storied background with um, interesting characters in her family tree. And when they got married, they each had been married once before and had each had two children, uh, which is how I ended up with two sisters named Carla, which I didn't understand until I was about 11 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I always like starting with that because it's a good opening line and um, it gets people drawn in. And why do you have two sisters named Carla? Mm-hmm. That's and, interesting. Um, yeah. And, of course, when I was young, very young, I would say, I don't know, my parents liked the name or, or you know, I, I really didn't know. But it turns out that my both my mother and father had had a daughter and they were individually named Carla. And then when they got together, they had these two, I have two half-sisters named Carla. So uh, that's always a good icebreaker when I launch into my comedy routine about my life, <laughs> um, which which is what a lot of us tend to do when um, we go through troubled childhoods or, or suffer through childhood neglect or maltreatment. Mm-hmm. Um, we use humor as a way to cope, which was something that I did throughout my life until I was struck by critical illness. Mm-hmm. If you read through my book, you understand that I firmly do believe now that adult physical illness can be caused by uh, adverse childhood 
effects are like the ACE study uh, discusses, um, the National CDC ACE study or childhood maltreatment. I don't use the word child abuse because I think that that term connotes its own you know, people already assume it's child sexual abuse or physical abuse. Mm -hmm. And in my case, it was much more of emotional neglect. Mm -hmm. However, there was physical neglect and there certainly was some physical incidents that occurred. But I, I try to stick with the childhood maltreatment aspect because uh, if you look at the age study, for example, of the population of the U.S., at least almost 84% of us score at least a one or higher with 10 being the highest on that test. Mm-hmm. And Can you means, explain to the listeners yeah. before you go on what the ACE study is for those who aren't aware mm-hmm. of that? Sure. The ACE study was started by the Centers for Disease Control to the federal government about 20 years ago to follow children who had been classified as maltreated or adversely affected by events in their childhood through their adult lives and to see if there had been any biological or physiological imprint um, that they could measure that would lead them to draw the conclusion that they were indeed at higher risk of developing serious illnesses, particularly Mm -hmm. of the autoimmune kind, including cancer and, of course, uh, mental illness. And their theory was absolutely correct. And I believe that that is certainly what happened in my case, particularly with the location of my tumor directly in my heart. And I think that it's a mission of mine now to start educating doctors and help them understand that we can't look at this as a top-down approach. Doctors treat us when we come to them with symptoms. They have to get to know us from the youngest days and know what we went through as children in order to effectively test for those markers or see if we are at risk of developing disease. That makes a lot of sense to me. And as you know, we discussed a little bit before we started the show, about how I believe our thoughts definitely affect our physical and emotional well-being. Our thoughts often stem from our childhood, from our past, and a lot of the things that we continue to manifest in our lives come from the very experiences that we had as children and what we learned from our immediate family unit. So there's a lot to go into there, and I know you discuss a lot of that in the book, so we won't go into that further right now. But I do want to ask you, do you believe at this point, since you've gone and done a lot of the research and thought through this a lot for yourself, if in fact people can heal from their childhoods physically, emotionally, mentally, do you think that would affect then their ability to not become ill later in life or to be able to handle the illness better if they were to become sick? Yes, I think that that's what needs to be done is the the illnesses need to be preempted or interrupted, if you will. I mean, for example, everyone develops, everyone creates cancer cells in their body every day. Their immune system kills them automatically. Mm-hmm. So 
But when you are immune compromised because of stress or because of other effects of your early childhood or your life as it is today, you will become weakened to the point where you are susceptible to disease. Now, that's not in all cases. Obviously, some cases are genetic and some cases are just going to randomly happen. I remember saying, and I'm sure you experienced this too, why me, why me? And, you know, a, a wonderfully wise person said to me, well, why not you? Sometimes things just happen randomly Mm -hmm. and we can't explain them but healing the childhood wounds are are critical to live a full life and I don't think it's something that can be done at one juncture of your life I think it has to be done at many junctures and perhaps throughout your life and um, just changing those messages or altering them or integrating them into a different thought pattern so you can remain healthy and live productively and disease-free. Unfortunately, when you are are smacked down with two critical illnesses like I was, you know, you you will, and then the treatment, the chemotherapy, whatever, you know, which causes its own effects. I mean, I'm 15 years in remission. No one thought I would live this long. Mm -hmm. So the, the experiences that I'm having now with my health related to having such aggressive chemotherapy and other treatments Nobody really knows what to do about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just kind of, you know, dealing with them as they crop up. But yes, I I would hope that people do not do what I did, which is at 19 years old just shut the door or file away or encase myself in this tremendous armor on what had happened the first 18 years of my life and just move on mm-hmm. because it comes back it comes back. Mm -hmm. And while I had to do that to survive at the time, you know, and it was a very wise thing, I thought, to say, well, I'm just not going to let what happened the first 18 years of my life dictate the rest of my life, but it came back. Mm -hmm. I understand that, and I think that's very typical of a lot of people to not deal with the past and things that are uncomfortable or painful. And some people don't even realize some of the things that truly affected them and that they walk with into their adult life. What was the point at which you realized you needed to have some healing over your childhood? Oh, uh, unfortunately, when um, within a three-week span, I was diagnosed with cancer and lupus and ended up in the emergency room and then transported to a trauma center and had an emergency tracheotomy and my armor was just blown off. Mm-hmm. I it wasn't until m- many many weeks, if not months later, during the cancer treatment and to try to keep me alive, that I started. And my book is written this way. I when I was in the hallucinatory states that you get in when you're so so close to death and struggling to live, my thoughts always went to things in my childhood. They always went to the good and the bad and the ugly, and I was forced to look at my childhood. Mm-hmm. So when I was able to walk again, <laughs> get out, and get into some sort of therapy, that's where we began. Mm-hmm. And I had never done that before, and I was um, about 37 years old when that happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure that was a lot to handle emotionally, physically, mentally, all at once, especially if you're dealing with an illness and treatment. It's just so much on top of so much. 
What would you say to the listeners who might be going through something similar, who are smacked with this sudden diagnosis or a tragic event that, that creates something where they're physically have an issue? How would you help them, give them some tips to deal with those overwhelming feelings and needs? Well, I, was, um, I would say that before cancer, BC, <laughs> and after cancer, or we have always, you know, before, the before and after, I was a spiritual person, but I was not necessarily a faithful person. But I had some experiences that opened my eyes to faith and the power of having faith. And I, another wise person told me to sit in God's lap for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most powerful things that someone could ever have said to me. Mm-hmm. Because being a type AAA personality and always being in control and always being the one to do, you know, have 85 goals to survive and to move on and to da da you know, do whatever I could, to just realize that all I needed to do was to sit in his lap and try to heal was very important. Mm-hmm. And to just listen to the messages that were coming in and write things down or draw pictures or take things in as you can and save them for another time. Keep keep those uh, daily affirmations that people give you or whatever cards you get that make you feel good. And, you know, watch, I watched a lot of Carol Burnett reruns, you know, keep the comedy going and and just sit with it for a while mm-hmm. until you're ready to actually begin exploring. Mm-hmm. And I think I began my exploration with uh, my pastor at the time and then continued with an alternative kind of therapy uh, that really, that took three years mm-hmm. to really um, address all of the things that had led to my becoming ill and how I was going to deal with my quote-unquote, new normal. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, and I think that it's individual for everyone as far as how we deal with our circumstances and tragedies, but definitely important to do something to try and get through that time. Prayer, yes. faith, talk to others, counsel, whatever helps for the individual person. And that leads me to ask you, did you have support of family and friends during this time? I did. It was very interesting who ended up actually supporting me. They wouldn't have been the people I would have necessarily expected. Mm-hmm. And I ended up categorizing people because there were some friends I never saw again because just the mere mention of critical illness and almost dying or cancer just chased them away. Mm-hmm. And at first being perplexed and upset, I then you know, came to understand that that was their, their thing. And that's okay, right? You know, and then then I had people who just bombarded me with, you know, you've got to eat this, you've got to go on this diet, you've got to do this, mm-hmm. you've got to do that, and you get yourself a little crazy about that. And again, I had to bring it back down to, okay, in moderation, I can do what I can do, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so there were many supportive people. I think what. What worked for me, however, most of all, of course, my husband was was truly there for better, for worse, in sickness or in health. But I had to go inward. And even though I was had exploded or imploded and I was 
bare and, you know, naked as a newborn in terms of being raw, I had to, I had to let myself finally think about and talk to the people who could explain to me what had happened to me and why, Mm -hmm. or perhaps why. And those people were the ones who became the most valuable to my healing Mm -hmm. and to my support. Mm-hmm. And they were not the ones that I necessarily would have expected. Right. That makes sense. And I think that's, again, helpful for people to understand that sometimes the best thing to do when you're in a challenging situation is to start unraveling your story, really look at it and heal from those areas that need healing and certainly understand yourself better. And I think you can also learn about your own strengths in that I'm sure you looked at your story and realized, having facing faced the 18 years of your childhood that you did, you did have the strength to get through things. You did have the character necessary to deal with your illness and all the challenges in that. Yes, I I was, I'm what they term a survivor. I have that fighting spirit, or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, and um, I... I just, you know, I guess comically, I remember thinking, I'm not going to die like this, looking the way I did, because mm-hmm. I was so vain about it, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was bald, I was all blown up from steroids, I had the tracheotomy, you know, the whole thing. I was like, no way, no, no, I have to get better and look better, and then, mm-hmm. then I can die. But um, it's, it, But I think that anybody can learn it, and if you believe that, you know, our time on Earth is a Earth is a school, and it's a learning life, and, you know, we we can learn it. We just have to be open to it, and yes. I certainly was not. I was kicking and screaming and yelling uh, all through it in the beginning until I just had to look at myself and look at my circumstances in a different way. I was forced to, mm-hmm. and it was the greatest gift that I ever got because I can say with confidence that post the treatment and post the therapy and post everything, I have a much fuller and richer life mm-hmm. than I would have had had I not gotten so sick. Right. And and that's where the, that's the key to me. So many things happen to us in our lives, and unless we have a takeaway from it, something uh, from the, the tragedy, the trauma, or just the day that your car doesn't start, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you need to find the funny. I always say you got to find the funny in every day mm-hmm. and, and just, and get on with it. Right. Put in front of the other. I love that because I think that's so important for people to remember everything in our lives, these challenges, the upheavals, the tragedies even are brought to us for a reason and that's to learn from and to go on from and and it's also a perfect opportunity for each of us to do our part to encourage other people and give them hope knowing that we went through something and got through it and that we've learned things and we can share that with others and you certainly do that throughout the book as far as sharing your thoughts and insight and I feel giving hope and encouragement to others after all you've been through I do want to ask you, did you believe at a certain point during your illness and treatment that you were going to die? Absolutely. I was, I was told that I was going to die three times. Okay. And, um, and I had some 
of the classic out-of-body experiences and some not-so-classic experiences with spirit or, or whatever you want to call it. And I, I, it took me a very long time to accept that. But I was not, because of those experiences and because of what I had gone through or was going through, I wasn't afraid to die. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not afraid to die. What I was always afraid of and remain to this day afraid of is losing my my spirit, losing that spirit of of wanting to keep going. Mm-hmm. And um, I think 15 years later, I can say, okay, I'm pretty safe from that now. But that's not to say that if tomorrow I got another diagnosis of something that was going to cause me a great deal of pain or or require that I do massive amount of treatment again, how I might react. I mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think the mental component is just as important, important as the physical component. I am not afraid of physically leaving this earth. I am more afraid of remaining here in an unhealthy state of mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yes, yes. And and not living your best life, at least making your best effort each day. Because as you know, we, we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. No. And today is a very bad day for me. I'm in a lupus flare and it's been going on for over a week. And I've been sleeping and I've been resting and, and, it, and, it, and it makes me angry mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. still to this day. Uh, because it's like I could have avoided this if I didn't overexert myself, moving my son into New York City, moving ourselves. We did a lot of moving, launching the book, et cetera, et cetera. But I did. I mm-hmm. overexerted and I put myself here. Mm-hmm. So now I have to deal with it, and mm-hmm. I am, but it still makes me angry. <laughs> right. I understand, and I hope you feel better soon. Thank what you. would you say then as far as that turning point for you or if you've turned that point of feeling that you're going to survive, you're going to live, you've certainly outlived your diagnosis. What was that like for you? And can you talk with the listeners about the shift for you in that? That was quite a, quite a, a moment. And I, I remember that moment of thinking, okay, I made it. And now I've got to get... I, I'm going to live this life. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to reinvent Amy? Because I'd lost everything. I'd lost my work. I'd lost my health. You know, I didn't lose my family, of course, but um, I, I, was, I was perplexed and confused, and that's when I started writing. Mm-hmm. And that was my way of expressing to myself what I could do, what I couldn't do, and what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the bucket list, whatever you want to say, but those are just things. It was more to me of what was I here for and what was my message going to be mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. And even if that message only impacted those that were immediately around me, that was fine. Like telling my children, you know, when they grow up, all I want for them is to be kind and wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't. You know, I have I had friends when my children were young say, "Oh, my son's going to be an architect. Oh, mine's going to be a doctor." You know, how do you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't care what they are. I just want them to be 
be kind and wise, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. to and to help others understand that we have remarkable power to make change for ourselves, right, and for those that are around us. And the launch of this book, which has only been three weeks, the the things that have come back to me already and how it has changed certain people's lives has has been um, just remarkable, mm-hmm. and I just. I'm so very, very grateful mm-hmm. that I can see that and that I can participate in that and I can have a, a place with the physicians community and educating them and, um, you know, speak to them. And, and uh, someone wrote in one of the reviews of my book, you know, you should buy two copies, one for yourself and one for your doctor because you're going to want to give it to your doctor. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's great. And, and yes, yeah. you shared a lot of valuable information in there that could help the medical medical community and certainly engaging in a better relationship with your doctor is critical yeah. these days because there's so many different options now and there's so many different things to consider and really getting to that place of being treated as an individual, which you talk about some in the book, is very, very important in the outcome of any diagnosis. So that is important stuff, and I'm glad you shared that. Can you share a little bit about in dealing with your illness and all that had been going on or and goes on sometimes now, how did you help your family, your husband and kids, get through that? Oh, boy, I overcompensated <laughs> so okay. much. But um, in order... To help them initially, it was, my children were very young when I got got critically ill, so it was more of a protective mm-hmm. mode, you know, to keep them in the care of trusted people and friends and family and, and, and daycare, uh, where they were protected from the, the, the horrors of actually going through critical illness in the hospitals and the things I had to do, but also that they needed to take care of themselves mm-hmm. and my husband in particular, you know, he, he just took such a hit from it and he needed time to, to heal as well. Mm-hmm. And to recognize that and to accept that I used to get upset when he would leave and go to work. And mm-hmm. so people stopped telling me when he would leave, but you know, he needed to do that. He needed to get away. And the caregiver also can benefit from what I what I talk about because the caregiver is going to be affected just as much as the person who's sick. Right. You may not be physically affected, but you're going to be so emotionally affected and so uh, physically drained from taking care of the individual and worrying that you have your health needs to be uh, monitored as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah, I think that's everything you said is important. Making sure that if you have children, that they're still taken care of, and and they still and they learn too along the way how to care for their yeah. own selves and not take too much responsibility for something that they can't be responsible for. And then with the caregivers, definitely allowing them their space and realizing their need to heal and their suffering and grief in the process. That's different from the patients, but it's just as relevant. When I 
was recovered enough to start doing some of the household things and getting involved, engaged with the children again, I was overcompensating. And I remember just classically getting up early one morning and cooking pancakes from scratch, you know, for my son. And, you know, it was like seven in the morning. I'm flipping him with a spatula in the kitchen and he comes out and he's seven years old and he says, I wish we could be like a normal family and the smell of the pancakes would wake me up from my bed in the morning. Mm, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I looked at him and I looked at myself and I had a spatula in my hand. <laughs> I just wanted to say, I said, what am I doing? I've created a monster. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just so overcompensating for not having been there for them for uh, almost 36 months that, mm-hmm. um, you know, or not being there for them full time. Right. Um, so it was, so I had to pull that back a little bit too. Right, right. And, and I know, appreciate uh, you sharing that because I think that's key for people to hear. Whatever you're going through, physically, emotionally, mentally, give yourself a break. We can't be perfect. We don't need to be the superhero. And that's so important to realize when we're going through things that it's okay to not function at a certain level all the time. Yeah, and I made up new games. I mean, I, I, I had trouble walking, so it was. I remember it was summertime, and I would sit on a chair at the top of our house, like on the little walkway, you know, and, and I'd have the hose in my hand, and I'd close my eyes and say, okay, you guys, you two run up the hill, you know, run up the front lawn, and I'm going to squirt you. I'm, I, I'm closing my eyes, but I'm going to try to hear you, you know. Mm-hmm. And we made up games like that where I could sit in the chair and do something like that or you know, just do more stuff that I was able to do mm-hmm. um, rather than the, the the woman that would go to the pool with seven kids trailing her because I would just pick up whoever wanted to go mm-hmm. and let's go, you know, you know, so I had to, I had to really bring it down to a level that I could manage. Right. And that's, that's okay. And that's a good thing. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Before we wrap up, can you talk a little bit about the forgiveness part, because you've mentioned in the book and and on the show today some of the challenges and dysfunction in your family unit. And, of course, you talk more about that in the book. What did that look like for you as far as forgiving your parents or other people around you that created or were part of that dysfunction and the painfulness of your childhood? And as you forgave, how did that affect your health and well-being. That was huge. That was really huge because forgiveness comes in many forms. But I took an approach of trying to really learn and understand my parents' lives individually and what had led them to be the people who they were. And although it was in their later years and then they subsequently passed, I could pity my mother for her terrible mental illness that she suffered and the fact that while she was on the earth, she most likely didn't didn't progress an inch in learning or completing any step to becoming a more whole, healed person. Mm-hmm. And that was very sad to me. So... Um, so, of course, I forgave her. And the same with my dad. You know, everybody has their own life experiences. And I tried to put into context what they had gone through in their lives and what 
than they had done or hadn't done for me and just let it go. Mm -hmm. Easier said than done. I do want to point that out to the listeners, but important to, to let it go, to work through that, to understand what you can oh, change and what you can't. That's right. And it, it didn't take days or months. It took years. Right. And, um, you know, I, I find myself now having conversations with some of my older half-siblings about some of these things. And, you know, they may not be at the place where I am, but they're even working towards those goals mm-hmm. if they need to. And and it's it's interesting to watch from the outside, but then again, I was forced to do it because I had no choice. I wouldn't have gotten well if I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the truth is you did have a choice and you chose to live, as your book reflects. Yes. <laughs> you chose to turn around your situation and to make the best out of what you had to deal with and what you had to face. But I think it's very, very powerful for people to make that choice, especially when they're, they've had a diagnosis or a significant injury that they could end up losing their life from. And yet there's a choice in how you handle that. And I certainly think there's a choice in how, how much longer you're allowed to live and what the quality of that life is. That's true. And, and to keep the fear at bay because yes. we are human and we are fearful. Mm-hmm. And those are, that's the only thing I can honestly say will get me sometimes is I will go to that place of fear again not so much for, like I said, I'm not afraid to die, but the fear of the actual physicalness of being sick, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the treatments and the pokes and the prods and the needles and the, that kind of thing. And, and you know, I, I for years I couldn't even walk by the place where I got chemo treatment because I would just get nauseous, you know, and, and um, I couldn't go into the hospital, you know, but I have to be... So that that's still hard for me. I have to, my son is going to have surgery in a week or so, and I'll be taking him to the hospital and going into the operating room bay and all that. And that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. It's still hard for me. And I don't, I still have to work on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. Yeah, as you said, that's normal, typical for many people. And I love yeah. that you're sharing your vulnerability, and I know that you share that in the book. So it's it's awesome to hear someone be able to tell their true story and tell it like it is and then at the same time offer that hope, encouragement, and inspiration to other people. Can well, you thank sh- you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. Can you share with the listeners how they can connect with you further and where they can get a copy of your book, Dying to Live? Sure. The book is available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. On Amazon, it's available as a paperback and on Kindle. I also have a website, www.DyingToLiveAmy.com, and there's information about me, my story, a sample chapter, and how you can buy the book as well there. And I'm continuing to do some book signings and events and uh, traveling around a little bit as much as I can and appearing on radio shows and and hopefully uh, we'll um, be able to uh, reach out to some of your listeners as well in person. 
Great. Love it. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with the lis- our listeners, to share part of your story and talk about your book. And again, I really, really appreciate finding another person who's willing to put themselves out there all for the cause of sharing important messages that your book is laced with as far as how we can all heal, how we can move forward, and how we can live our best life. Thank you, Angela. Thank you very much.